If you ask most Americans what makes up the United States, they would tell you the 50 states plus the District of Columbia. And they would be right. Mostly. Since the founding of the country, the United States has also had territories. Territories have often been training wheels for regions before they became full-blown states. The United States still has territories today. Learn more about the territories of the United States on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. This episode is brought to you by the Travel Photography Academy. Have you ever been on a trip and wondered why your photos don't turn out like the images you see in travel magazines? If you're going to spend thousands of dollars on a trip and hundreds to thousands of dollars on a camera, you owe it to yourself to get the highest quality images from your trip. That's why I created the Travel Photography Academy. I set out to travel around the world in 2007 with an expensive camera, and I had no idea how to use it. As I traveled around the world, I taught myself the art of travel photography eventually mastering it to a point where I was named Travel Photographer of the Year three times in North America. The Travel Photography Academy is an online course that teaches you everything you need to know to master your camera and to take better photos on your next trip. To improve your photography and to get better images on your next trip, visit TravelPhotographyAcademy.com or click in the link in the show notes. To make this episode a manageable length, I'm only going to be discussing the territories which currently exist. Historically, places like Alaska, Hawaii, the Dakotas, and even the whole Louisiana Purchase were territories. Today, however, all of the U.S. territories are islands located either in the Pacific Ocean or in the Caribbean Sea. There are currently 16 territories, although only five of them have permanent human populations. Just to get them out of the way, the uninhabited territories are Baker Island, Howland Island, Jarvis Island, Johnson Atoll, Kingman Reef, Midway Atoll, Navasa Island, Palmera Island, and Wake Island. All except Navasa Island are located in the Pacific. There are also two territories which the U.S. claims, but are also claimed by other countries. The Bajo Nuevo Bank, which is also claimed by Colombia and Jamaica, and the Serenia Bank, which is claimed by Colombia, Honduras, and Jamaica. Legally, there are two types of status that a U.S. territory can have. It can either be incorporated or unincorporated, and it can be organized or unorganized. In an incorporated territory, the U.S. Constitution is considered to be in full effect. Currently, there is only one incorporated territory, and that is the Palmyra Atoll. Palmyra was part of Hawaii before Hawaii became a state, and for reasons I have never been able to figure out after years of researching it, it was not included when the rest of the territory became a state. Every other territory is unincorporated. The other attribute is if a territory is organized. All of the territories I just listed above that have no permanent human habitation are unorganized. If a territory is organized, that means they have passed and had Congress approve what is called an Organic Act, which is a type of constitution which lays out how the territory is to be run. For a territory to be organized, it has to have people, of course. And here's where we get into the territories that you've all probably heard of. The following are the five inhabited territories of the United States. Puerto Rico, the U.S. Virgin Islands, Guam, the Commonwealth of the Northern Marianas Islands, and American Samoa. I'll go through each of them and give some background about each territory, how they came to be, and what their potential future is. I should add that I've personally been to all of these territories at least once, so I've had some first-hand experience with them. Let's start with American Samoa. 
I'll start with American Samoa because they are the outlier of the group. Of the five inhabited territories, American Samoa is the only one that doesn't have an Organic Act. As such, people in American Samoa are not U.S. citizens, but rather U.S. nationals. In fact, they are currently the only people who can be classified as U.S. nationals and not U.S. citizens. A national means they can travel freely within the U.S. and work wherever they want. They can get a U.S. passport, but the passport is slightly different in that it says national instead of citizen. The big difference is that if they moved to the U.S., they couldn't vote or run for office. They would have to go through the naturalization process to become a U.S. citizen. American Samoa is part of the Samoan archipelago and is very close to the country of Samoa, formerly known as Western Samoa. It became a U.S. territory via treaty in 1899 between the United States and Germany, which divided up the islands between themselves. The German islands were eventually lost to New Zealand after World War I and then became independent in 1962. The other islands remained a U.S. territory the entire time. American Samoa currently has a population of 55,000 people, and they have the highest rate of enlistment into the armed forces of any U.S. state or territory. The future of American Samoa has been debated for decades, yet nothing really has happened. Given the small population, it's unlikely ever to become a state. Beyond that, there are many options for the territory. One is to do nothing. Currently, American Samoa has much more freedom than other territories. The federal government doesn't own any land in the territory, and there's a high degree of autonomy, but they still have ties to the U.S. Another option would just be to pass an organic act that would subject American Samoa to more U.S. laws, but it would give everyone citizenship. Independence is another option that has been floated, and it has some support in the territory. The final option would be to join back up with the nation of Samoa. There doesn't appear to be a consensus on any option beyond continuing with the status quo for right now. Guam. Guam was one of the last bits of the Spanish Empire which the United States gained after the Spanish-American War. Geographically, it is the southernmost island of the Marianas Islands archipelago. More on that in a moment. Guam was invaded by the Japanese at the same time as the bombing of Pearl Harbor. As with the invasion of the Philippines, it took place on December 8th because of the international dateline. Guam, being the westernmost part of the United States, has always played a role in military affairs. After its liberation in World War II, it was used as a base for bombers. It was also used extensively for operations during the Korean and Vietnam Wars. The role of the military in Guam has only increased as the U.S. has moved troops out of Japan. The current population of Guam is approximately 165,000 people. Guam serves as the unofficial capital of the Micronesia region, which includes the Northern Marianas Islands, the Federated States of Micronesia, the Marshall Islands, and Palau. Many people from these islands who need medical procedures or just want to go shopping will go to Guam. The native people of Guam are the Chamorro people, where they make up a bit less than half the population. As with other territories, there's a great deal of discussion regarding the future of Guam. Options range from independence, merger with Hawaii, changes to their Organic Act, and a merger with the Northern Marianas Islands. Which brings me to the next territory, the Commonwealth of the Northern Marianas Islands. Also known by the acronym CNMI, the Northern Marianas Islands are culturally and geographically part of the same islands as Guam. What happened is after the Spanish-American War, Spain sold the islands to Germany and separated them from Guam. They became part of the United Nations Trust Territory of the Pacific, which was overseen by the United States after World War II. In 1975, there was a referendum in the territory where the people chose closer ties with the United States by becoming a territory. The native people in CNMI are Chamorro, just like in Guam, 
The population of the territory is 55,000 people, about the same as American Samoa. There was an issue in the 90s where garment sweatshops were set up in CMNI because of a loophole in United States law. Products created in the Marianas were eligible to say that they were made in the USA. However, they were exempt from any laws, including the minimum wage. The loophole was subsequently closed. Discussions about the future of CNMI mostly revolve around a merger with Guam. A single territory with a larger population and geographical footprint would probably be stronger with a greater ability to negotiate with the federal government. In 1969, there was a referendum for a merger. It passed in the Northern Marianas, but failed in Guam. The U.S. Virgin Islands The U.S. VI became a U.S. territory by being purchased from Denmark. They took possession on March 31, 1917. The territory was purchased for $25 million in U.S. gold coins, which would have a value of close to $600 million today. There are three main islands in the territory, St. Thomas, St. John, and St. Croix. The current population of the territory is about 110,000 people. It's the only U.S. territory where everyone drives on the left side of the road. There was talk with a merger with the British Virgin Islands, which lies immediately to the east of USVI, but nothing ever became of that in the 1960s. Likewise, talks of merging with Puerto Rico, which is immediately to the west, also have never gone anywhere, given the large cultural differences between the two territories. Of the five inhabited U.S. territories, there is probably the least amount of debate as to their future. Finally, I'll end with the big fish in the talk of territories, Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is different from any other U.S. territory simply because of its size. Its population and land area are larger than all other U.S. territories combined. Puerto Rico, like Guam, came into the hands of the United States after the Spanish-American War. Because of its size, being a U.S. territory has always been contentious. In the 1950s, two Puerto Rican nationalists attempted to assassinate President Harry Truman. Support for Puerto Rican independence was very high in the early and mid-20th century, but that has slowly declined over time. Because Puerto Ricans have U.S. citizenship, over time, more and more Puerto Ricans moved to the U.S., and eventually, almost every Puerto Rican family had ties to other family members living in the mainland United States. As the ties between the island and the mainland increased, the support for independence has decreased and support for statehood has increased. In 2017, for the first time ever, a referendum was held where the majority of voters supported the idea of statehood. However, the vote was disputed as pro-status quo groups boycotted the election and the turnout was only 22%. Realistically, Puerto Rico is the only current territory that could become a U.S. state by itself. They wouldn't be the smallest state in terms of population or area. In November 2020, Puerto Rico will have another referendum on the subject of statehood. The question on the ballot this time will be very simple and straightforward. Should Puerto Rico be admitted immediately into the Union as a state? Yes or no? There has already been a flag with 51 stars designed, and it really doesn't look that much different. It's eight rows of alternating nine and eight stars. I couldn't conclude this episode without at least a mention of the District of Columbia, which is not a territory. It's its own special thing, which is worth an episode of its own in the future. Also, there are several former U.S. territories which became independent countries, and they include the Philippines, the Marshall Islands, Micronesia, and Palau. Executive producer of Everything Everywhere Daily is James Makala. The latest review over on Apple Podcasts comes from user Cloud Pattern, who writes, Pithy and packed full of interesting tidbits. Like his photography, Gary Arndt has a way of sharing details from a slightly different point of view than you would have come to on your own. Very enjoyable and informative. 
Thank you very much, Cloud Pattern. And thanks to all of you who left reviews over on Apple Podcasts. Remember, if you leave a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, you will get your review read live on the show.